1. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus, we just thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that we can come here tonight and that we can worship and praise you. And, and God, we just thank you for moms. We thank you for their love and their sacrifice for us. And God, even more than that, we thank you for your own love. We thank you for your own sacrifice. And God, I just pray that you would calm us tonight. Anything that's going on in our lives, Lord, may we lay it at your altar. And may we just come into your presence. And may we calm ourselves. May we rest in you. May you give us your peace. So, Father, we ask that your name be glorified and lifted high tonight. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In 2009, it was one of those experiences that would stop and make everybody shudder, but it causes a mother's instinct to rise up and to jump into action. There's these two ladies, Donna McNamee, who's 24, and Abigail Sicolo, who's 29. They heard these ear-shattering and heart-stopping screams, and both of them, it beckoned them out onto their porches, and they saw this horrific scene before them. This horrific scene, it caused them to jump into action and perform superhuman strength as both of them got together and they lifted this car up so that their little neighborhood boy could get out from underneath. It's one of those situations that seems impossible. Seems impossible for any mom, any woman to lift a car. Yet these two women did it. Donna, who was a mom of four, she said, I thought it was my own, my own kid. And like any mom would, any mom would rush to the scene and lift that car, do whatever she could, as if it was her own kid. You know, we've heard of different stories maybe like this, where moms perform superhuman acts of power and strength. We've heard of those things, and, and the scientific world is we're like, well, well, I don't know, maybe they're all myths, because there's not much empirical data on it, because you can't recreate those kind of situations. And if they did, that would be unethical and just dangerous to see what a mom could do. But I think all of us can somewhat relate or understand the instincts of a mom, that protective nature, that loving, caring heart that would do anything for their kids. Today is a day set aside to celebrate moms. And I want to thank each one of you, each one of you moms who are here today for sacrificing for us, for bringing us into the world, for caring for us, for loving us, for just wrapping your arms around us, for, for being there. I know my mom, if, if she wasn't in our family, man, our family would have fallen apart a long time ago. She is the glue that holds us together and keeps my dad sane. Actually, all of us sane. You know, I love my mom, and I'm so thankful for her. So grateful that she's in my life. Today is a day that we get to say thanks. Celebrate you as moms. Alongside today, though, I know it can be a day of great pain and loss. I have too many friends who have lost their moms. And knowing what it's like watching them, 
well, it's a day that everybody gets to celebrate what they have. They remember what they don't have, what they've lost. I have too many friends who long to be a mom, but actually aren't able to. And it's like salt in the wound on Mother's Day. You know, I have too many friends who are single and who would love to be a mom, but the idea of marriage and motherhood seems like a distant dream that will never happen. You know, or, the, or there's single moms who thought, I never wanted to raise a kid by myself, but here I am. This is my life. You know, or maybe there's some moms here tonight who, are, who have lost a child. And Mother's Day rem- just reminds them of that pain. Or maybe you didn't even know your mom. Maybe your mom took off, or maybe you didn't have a good relationship with your mom. The fact is, is that I don't want to gloss over the fact <laughs> that some of you may be in those situations, that maybe some of you have walked through those situations, and that Mother's Day isn't a day of celebration necessarily. And if that's you tonight, I just want to say, I've been praying that God would heal you, that God would come alongside you, and that he would intimately speak into those places of hurt and disappointment and pain, and that he would bring you joy, unspeakable joy and life. I've been praying that tonight God would meet with you, no matter where you're at. So today is a day to celebrate, but it's also a day when maybe some of you are in pain. And also, some of us, we come to a church service on Mother's Day and we think, well, it's time to tune out because the pastor's probably going to preach on some sort of how to be a good mom, give parenting skills, and stuff like that. Well, I hope you haven't tuned out yet because if I gave you parenting advice, you'd probably be like, Amy, you are super idealistic and just wait till you have kids. You know, I'm not a mom, so I don't have parenting advice to give you. But I hope tonight that each one of us will be urged, will be called to give our lives, to give ourselves in order to gain glory. That we would sacrifice our lives to become spiritual parents for those coming after us. So if you want to flip to 1 Thessalonians 2, that's where we're going to be tonight. And as we're going, I'm going to take a couple uh, side roads at times, and I, I have a friend who calls, um, he'll, he'll say, I'm just going to have a mo, talking about a moment, or let's just have a mo, let's just sit here, you know, like, and so we're going to have some cultural mo's, where we're just going to talk a little bit about where we're at in our society at times, so we're going to take some of those detours, but also, just a bit of background about First Thessalonians 2 and, and this book that Paul writes. So Paul, he, he visited Thessalonica in his second missionary journey. He came from Philippi where he and Silas were wrongly accused, beaten, thrown in prison, and then they're praising God at midnight and the doors fly open and they're set free and then the prisoner or the, the jail person is, becomes a believer. It's just this crazy experience, right? So they come from Philippi and then they move on to Thessalonica. We read about this in Acts 16 and 17, if you want to check it out later. So they come to Thessalonica, and this city is a booming, prominent city. It's on the Ignatian Way, which is a road that the Romans built, and it went from the west side of Macedonia, Greece, across that area, over to the Aegean Sea, and then it went over and around, down into Turkey, and so on and so forth. It was a big city. And not only that, but it was on the peak of the third, um, 
Oh, I gotta look it up again. Thermaic Gulf. I always get that messed up. It was on the head of the Thermaic Gulf. So it was a seaport as well as on this road that everybody traveled on. So it was this bustling city. Makes sense that Paul would have gone to this city to preach the gospel. So he shows up and we read in Acts 17 where um, he's he's there and he preaches in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. After that, most scholars think that he spent a couple months there developing and, and growing this church, training them, and establishing it so that they can become mature. But after a little bit of time, the Jews get really upset, and they come, and they, they start this riot, and they want to th- throw out Paul, and they want to um, imprison him, all this stuff. Now, thankfully, Paul escapes, and he goes on to Berea. So he's in Berea, and then starts preaching the gospel there. Well, the Jews follow him to Berea, and then Paul escapes again and goes to Athens. So now, Paul's in Athens, but he's really concerned about the church in Thessalonica. He really loved that church. And he's wondering, how are they doing? How is this infant church doing? I left too soon. So he says to Timothy, Timothy, you go back. You check on that church. Make sure they're doing okay. And then come back, report to me. So this letter that Paul is writing, is when Timothy has come back, and Paul's writing to answer some questions and to encourage them, persevere. Persevere through hardship, through suffering. Keep going. So this is where we're at. And chapter 2, most scholars say, yes, the passage could have been written uh, to authenticate him as an upright minister of the gospel. But more than that, more scholars will say, actually, what chapter 2 is getting at, he's laying out his life, his example, saying, hey, this is how I lived among you. You've seen it. Now I want you to do it. He's putting his life out as a model for them to follow. So starting in verse 6, that's where we're going to start tonight. Verse 6 of chapter 2, and it says, We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. Because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. So what's Paul saying here? Obviously he's not a physical mom because he's a man. So what's he doing here? He's saying, I was gentle among you like a mother. Well, he's using an everyday situation that most of us would be familiar with, either from having a mom, being a mom, or watching a mom. It's an everyday picture of show, and he's using this picture to show us how he was and what it looks like to be a disciple maker. And the word he uses for a mother here, the Greek um, connotation is actually used as a wet nurse, and not just nursing any kid, but their very own child. This picture is one of those beautiful, vulnerable, intimate times between a mom and a child where the mother is actually nourishing the baby from her own body, this helpless baby. Paul's saying, hey, I was like that to you. I cared about you so much. I was gentle among you. I loved you. He's using this example because moms have to sacrifice a lot. 
in order to birth a child and care for a child in this world. Not only do they have to give up their bodies while this little one grows inside inside of them, but then they have to go through the birthing pain, which is one of the most excruciating pains, I'm told, that any human can go through. And then after even the birth, they have to care for this kid. They have to give up their sleep and their time, their dreams, their energy, everything. They become selfless. Paul became that to this church. Why is he showing us what this looks like? I think it's because he's showing us what it looks like to be a disciple maker, answering the call of Jesus, that each one of us are called to love like mothers in order to birth others, to bring others into the kingdom of God. We're called to love sacrificially. You know, Paul, in verse 7 and 8, as we read, says, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much. Paul said, I loved you dearly. I loved you. His call and his purpose in life was to preach the gospel, which he did. He, go, he went to Thessalonica, and he preached boldly. But as he got to know the people, as he got to know the congregation, he fell in love with them. He said, I delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but my very life as well. He's saying, I was willing to lay down my life for you, the church. This is where Paul was at. And it's kind of like a mom who lays down her life every day, every night for her kids, up at night, caring for her little child. It's that self-sacrifice. See, Paul loved this church dearly and love for it to be real it there's two things that are required it has to be sacrificial and it has to be selfless because if you're not willing to sacrifice for the other person that's not real love if you're always looking out for yourself that's not real love Love is looking out for the betterment of the other person. Love is sacrificing of yourself for that other person. That's what a mom does every day. She's sacrificing her life. See, Paul, he gave himself in order to gain glory, just like a mom would give herself in order to gain glory, which are her kids. This is the, the, the analogy that Paul's using. You know, he continues on to remind them of his sacrifice. And in verse 9, it says, Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardships. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Most scholars will say that at this time, uh, when scripture was written, people would have to work from dawn till dusk in order just to make enough money to provide for that day, to get through that day. So Paul's saying, hey, I worked all day, probably as a tent maker, all day I worked so that I wouldn't be a burden to you, but then all night I was teaching you, I was preaching to you, I was growing you up. He was sacrificing. And this makes sense when, he th when you think about a mom and a child because the, the um, child is not supposed to care for the mom. The mom isn't supposed to be a burden to the child. Rather, the mom is supposed to care for the child, for that helpless one. We, we all get this, even if that wasn't our experience. Even if we didn't have a good mom, we all get that that's what it's supposed to look like, that the mom is supposed to care for the child. The child is actually the burden. In the same way, Paul didn't expect this infant church to care for him. He says, no, I'm going to care for you. 
And therefore, I worked all day and all night so that I wouldn't be a burden to you, so that I could care for you. Incidentally, why did he say this? Um, Paul is saying, I didn't preach to you to fatten my wallet. I didn't preach out of ill intent or anything like that, but rather I did it at great expense and sacrifice to myself. And why? Because I loved you. That was Paul's whole motivation for this church and for us as well. How do we bring other people to Christ? It's through loving them. Loving them sacrificially. Loving them like a mom. Like a mother. Loving them. Do you want to be a disciple maker? Can I encourage us? Love others like a mother. Maybe some of you are thinking tonight though, seriously Amy? (laughs) You want me, a strong independent man or woman, to love sacrificially? Doesn't that sound a little bit weak or lame? Or maybe some of you are thinking, well, that's not my cup of tea. I'm not naturally strong in loving uh, other people or being empathetic. Well, first off, if we think that loving sacrificially is weak or lame, then we must think that Jesus was weak because that's exactly how he loved us. When he went to the cross, he sacrificed himself so that you and I can live. He loved sacrificially. He is our example, our number one example. And the strength of a mom is the fact that she loves sacrificially. That is not her weakness. That's her strength. It's that she loves sacrificially. And secondly, if you think that just because uh, it's not your cup of tea or strength, that doesn't mean that you're not called to love. Why? Because Christ commands it of us. The night that he went to the cross, he says to his disciples, which in turn speaks to us, we are his disciples. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's not an option. It's a command from Jesus himself. And it's not just a female's role either. You know, a lot of times we'll think, well, yeah, he's talking about a mom. He's using that analogy, but Paul was a man. And the thing is, is that God created all of us, men and women, in God's image to glorify him, to represent him. So if we are supposed to be representations of our Heavenly Father, maybe if we're not loving, we should ask God to make me loving. If that's who God is, that's who we should be. If we're weak in those attributes, let's ask God to make us strong in those attributes. You know, I'm not naturally loving or compassionate or empathetic. I know a lot of you don't believe that, but (laughs) if you ask my mom, I didn't like saying I love you till I was like 18. I couldn't say it to my parents. They would say, I love you. Yep. And I'd keep going. Like, I was just, that's awkward. Or they'd try to give me a hug, and I was like, get off of me, you know? Like, it was just awkward. I wasn't a big fan of love. And I always felt like a horrible person because my younger sister, she's only 12 months younger than me, we're like two peas in a pod except exact opposite, and I always felt like this horrible, mean person because she's the most empathetic, loving person ever. She, feel, she loves everyone and everything, even to the point of feeling bad if a, banana, a piece of banana loaf is left by itself. She's like, oh, I feel so bad. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, I've had to ask God to make me loving. 
I've had to ask him to make me compassionate, to make me empathetic. Just because I'm not naturally that way, that's not an excuse not to be loving. All of us are called to love sacrificially. All of us are called to love like Jesus loved. All of us are called to make disciples. All of us are called to love like mothers. This painting, this picture that Paul puts forth for us, sharing not only the gospel but our lives as well, willing to lay down our lives for somebody else, toiling day and night for those people that we're sharing the gospel with. We are called to love like mothers in order to birth others bring other people into the kingdom. So can I ask, who are you sacrificially loving? Who are you pouring your life out to? Yes, natural kids. I say, what better way to evangelize than to raise your kids to know Jesus? It's one of the best things. But who else? I don't think God just wants it for a couple kids in your family. I think he wants us to bring a whole whack load of kids, spiritual kids, into the kingdom. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, not too many places are coming to mind, not too many people. I have a whole lot of opportunities for you. Kids camp, our kids need to know Jesus. And our kids need more spiritual parents pouring into them, loving them sacrificially like a mom. Why? Because it takes a community to raise a kid. You know, even if these kids have great Godly parents, they still need us to come alongside. And at our kids' camp, many of them will not know Jesus. Can we lavish our love on them? And what happens if those kids see Jesus in us and they say, I want that, and then they start coming to church and they bring their families and say, you gotta come, this is the best place, mom and dad. And then we get to love the parents into the kingdom. Will it cost you? Yeah, because loving costs all the time. It costs money, maybe, energy, a week of your summer. <laughs> It'll cost, yeah, you'll get tired running around with kids all day, but will it be worth it? Definitely. Man, I think even of my students, working with high school and middle school students, they need people to come alongside them. We, man, there are so many things up against our, our youth today they need us loving them sacrificially. We, they need us coming alongside, encouraging them, pushing them on, cheering them on. I need more youth, youth leaders. If you're thinking, I, there's not too many people that I'm loving sacrificially, well, then come help out with youth. Yeah, it'll cost you a Wednesday night. Yeah, it'll cost you some prayers. Yeah, it will cost you maybe an evening here and there, maybe a coffee date here and there. But is it worth it? Definitely. When you see those kids stand up for Jesus in their school. When you see them continue on to live godly lives for our Savior. Or maybe talk to Pastor Mark saying, I want to get involved in discipleship. There's lots of new believers in our church right now, and they need us to walk alongside them, to love them sacrificially. They need us, because you know what? If we've walked with Jesus for a long time, We've had a lot of spiritual mentors, spiritual parents. And in the natural sense, you grow up and you're supposed to have kids, that's what I'm told or something. You know, in the same way, in the spiritual way, we are supposed to, as we grow in Christ, we need to reproduce. Who are we bringing into the kingdom? Who are we loving sacrificially? What does that look like for you? 
And what if all of us answered Jesus' call to make, to make disciples, to be disciple makers? What if we imitated Paul's example by loving sacrificially like a mother? I think we would see our church explode. And not only that, but I think we would see our province and our nation drastically changed if we love sacrificially like a mother. So is this just the, all that's required, though, of being a disciple maker? And I want to say no. That's only one side of the coin. So if we keep reading, let's keep reading in verse 10. And it says, You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. The first part, we see that Paul was emanating God in the fact that he was loving sacrificially like Christ, like a mother. But now we see here that he's saying, hey, I was also like a father among you. So we got to understand the role of a father a little bit. And at this time that he was writing, D.M. Martin says, the authority of a father in the family was supreme in Greco-Roman society. Basically, if the dad said it, that's it. No ifs, ands, or buts. He was the supreme, the be-all and the end-all, in the sense, for the family. He had this authority. I want to take a quick cultural mo, though, with you and address this idea of authority and a father because in today's culture, we don't really like the connotations of authority. We don't like what that means. And some of us, we really don't like what it means when it comes in relation to a man or a father. The reality is, is that some fathers, instead of taking that authority to protect and to provide for you, Maybe they actually abused, abused that authority and abused you. And if that's you, I'm really sorry. That is never how God intended it to be. On the flip side, maybe some of you um, had a dad who didn't even take responsibility for his actions, and therefore he abdicated all of his authority and he took off. He left you, and you've never known your dad. Or maybe you didn't have a good relationship with your dad. Whether you had an abusive dad or a dad who took off, I am sorry. That is not how God intended it. That's not what he had in store when he created this authority of a father. And this is all marred. See, the authority of a father was supposed to be a good thing. But unfortunately, we live in a culture, we live in a world that's fallen, that's marred by sin, and sin has taken everything good and twisted it and made it gross at times. If that's you today, though, I'm praying that God will heal any pain that's still there, any hurt, any bitterness. I'm praying that he will speak to you tonight and that he will give you joy. You know, these experiences that maybe some of you have, that's not what Paul was talking about. He wasn't talking about an abusive dad, a dad who abused his authority, or a dad who abdicated his authority. What he's talking about, he's talking about a good, healthy authority of a father. 
That's what he's talking about. And what does that look like? Well, right before he talks or even mentions a father, we see in verse 10, you are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Paul's saying, hey, this is how dads and moms were supposed to be. They are all supposed to be holy, righteous, and blameless. Rather than being selfish, they were supposed to sacrifice themselves, sa- sacrificial love for their children. Rather than uh, abusing their authority, they were supposed to take up their authority and protect and provide for their kids. This is what he's talking about. Instead of abdicating their authority, they're supposed to take it up and be examples of what it looks like to be holy, righteous, and blameless. This is what he's saying. And the thing about these three things is that we can't be. We can't be by ourselves. It is only through Jesus that we can be holy. It's only by his blood that we can stand in righteousness and that we are empowered to live out in righteousness. It is only through him that we are made blameless. And we are called to be examples of that. And if we were, if all of us, all men, all women, were holy, righteous, and blameless, I think we would stop the trend of broken families. And if I can take um, another cultural mo and just talk to some of you natural dads regarding holiness, righteousness, and blamelessness, can I urge you to be examples of this? for your kids. There's one in particular stat that says 90% of kids who watch their moms active in worship and active in the church and, and, and loving Jesus, 90% of them will continue to follow Jesus as an adult. 90%, that's awesome. But 99% of kids who watch their dads actively involved in church worship, actively serving and worshiping their God, not just coming on a Sunday, but actively involved and pursuing Jesus, 99% of them will continue to follow Jesus as adults. 99%. They need you men. Don't abdicate that spiritual responsibility to a woman. Yeah, sometimes women are sometimes, typically, um, more spiritually inclined, that does not mean that they're supposed to be the one lone soldier in the family. Being that example. They need their dads as well. They need both to be examples of what it looks like to be holy, righteous, and blameless. Don't abdicate it. So Paul alludes to this idea of a father and, and this, this term of a father, it, it, it has this connotation of authority. And why does a father have authority? Well, he has authority so that he can exhort his kids. And this kind of sums up the role of a dad in Paul's mind. An exhortation, it's an address conveying urgent advice or recommendations to urge, advise, or caution earnestly. You know, exhortation, it's pushing to be the best, it's challenging, it's encouraging, it's pushing them forward. My dad was my biggest um, cheerleader, but also my biggest critic. Man, any time, if I was in high school and I was speaking, he'd come back afterwards and say, that was really good. You said too many buts, though. You said too many ands or ums. You know, he, he critiqued me because he wanted me to be the best that I could be. Or if I brought home a 95%, he'd say, that's really good. There's 5% room of improvement. 
I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But he wanted me to be the best I could be. He challenged me. He pushed me forward. This is what a dad can do. Because typically, and I don't want to put anybody in a box. You know what? God has created each one of us uniquely and beautiful. And even in, I know one couple in particular, and they shared pretty vulnerably. They're like, I hate going to the marriage conferences. Because every time the description of a woman describes the man in that relationship and vice versa. They're like, we feel so dumb and out of place. And the one thing I learned from them, they're like, God has created each person unique and beautiful in his image. And when we have couples come together in marriages, each marriage is a unique and beautiful creation that God has brought together. Not to put in a box. So I don't want to put anybody in a box tonight, but I do want to say typically dads are more strict and disciplinary, straightforward. Let's go. Let's be the best that we can be. They exhort more naturally, typically. But why, do, why does anybody exhort anyone else? Well, so that they may become mature and responsible. Every parent wants their kid to be mature and responsible. You know, this is actually why moms and dads make really great teams in raising kids. Because typically, moms are more loving, compassionate, empathetic. And typically, dads are more strict and disciplinary, exhorting, challenging, pushing forward. But with that, if I can take another cultural mole, I, what I just said, I don't want to offend any of you because the reality is, is that we live in a culture with a lot of single parents. And so what I just said about a mom and a dad being a, the best team in a sense yes that's God's ideal but that does not mean that if you're a single parent that you're inadequate in any way and it does not mean that your kids will suffer because of it no because Jesus he came and he put us in the body of Christ the family of God once you accept Jesus you come into this new family and I hope if you're a single parent tonight that you've come home that you'll let us come alongside, that we, we will be able to pour into your kids and be more examples of what it looks like to be holy, righteous, and blameless, that we can help bring up your kids to know and love Jesus. And ultimately, God will fill those holes in your family because you know what? He has to fill holes in every family, whether it's a good marriage or a non-existent marriage. Why? Because we're all sinful. <laughs> We're all still working through this. Until we stand in glory, there's going to be holes in our families that only God can fill. So I hope that tonight that you're not discouraged, but rather that you're encouraged because you know that God will protect. God will provide. God will be that missing part, whatever that looks like. I love what Psalm 68, 4 says. It says, Sing to God. Sing praise to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is Yahweh. And rejoice before him. A father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. See, our God is in the business of redeeming people. Anything that sin has marred, God wants to restore it. Nothing is ever too late. Nothing's too far gone. God loves to redeem, loves to take what's broken, bring it back to wholeness, but not just like bring it back, but wants to make it better. 
I love what it says in Isaiah when he says, you will come from beauty, or from ashes to beauty. You'll rise up out of those things and you will stand like oaks of righteousness. I love that because our God is in the business of redeeming us. Praise him. You know, Paul intended these analogies to show how affectionate he was for this church, but then also to show his authority over this church. And why, so Paul says, I'm a father among you, and we know that that fatherly aspect entails some authority. And why does he need authority? Well, he needs to exhort them as well. But why does he need to exhort them? Well, so that they may become mature. As we read in verse 12, it says, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of the gospel of God. Live lives worthy of our God. See, in this passage, disciple makers, what Paul lays forward is that disciple makers also exhort like fathers in order to grow others. Grow others to live lives worthy of our God. You know, sometimes we don't know what that looks like, though. So what would it look like for us to actually exhort like a father in order to grow others up? Sometimes it's not being Canadian. (laughs) and actually holding people accountable. Saying the truthful things. Saying, what are you doing? Why are you walking this way? Why are you walking in sin? Sometimes it's actually saying those things and holding our brothers and sisters in Christ accountable. Now, in saying that, we need to be like Jesus who came full of grace and truth. He spoke the truth. He wasn't scared of it but he did it in such a gracious way that most people, either they hated him or they loved him for it. We will have that same response at times. But we need to hold one another accountable. Maybe some of us, it's a matter of challenging others. You know, I think of my students, and sometimes I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, hey, okay, let's stop. We need to prioritize. What are you doing? Because this is what I see in you. So getting so close to people that we get to know their gifts and we push them along that way and say, hey, this is what I see. Even that passage um, in Psalms or whatever, when it talks about train up a child in the way he should go and in the future, he won't depart from it. Instead of saying like, that's just a Christian belief. No, it's looking at the child and discovering what they are gifted at and pushing them towards those things. Maybe it's not your dream, but maybe it's what they're gifted at. You know, all of us, to, to see it in one another as Christian brothers and sisters saying, hey, I see this gift in you. Go that way. Challenge each other. Maybe some of you in Hebrews, it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Maybe some of you need to share your, share your lives, share your examples. This is where I've came from so that other people after you can say, if he can do it, if she can do it, I can do this. I can trust Jesus. I know that he will provide, he will heal, he will make whole. What does it look like? All of us, all of us are called to love like mothers in order to birth others into the kingdom. And all of us are called to exhort like fathers in order to grow others in the kingdom. So to finish tonight though, I wanna look at the reason why Paul was so serious about this. And hopefully we will discover our reason for becoming spiritual moms and dads. So I have a quick question. Um, How many of you have those Facebook friends that post like a million pictures of their kids? Anybody? 
<laughs> okay, so I, I, I totally have to admit, if I was a parent, I would be like that. I, I had a friend a while ago say, Amy, you will totally be that mom who posts a million pictures of her kids and, because you already do it as a, with your nieces and nephews. And at first I was like, I kind of take offense at that. But then I started thinking, and I was like, actually, that's the way it should be. Every parent, every grandparent typically will say that their kids are their pride, their joy, and their glory. That's what they live for. They love their kids. It should be this way. It's their greatest joy. You know, I remember meeting my little nephew one time, or like, yeah, meeting him. He's just days old. And I was sitting there with my brother. I was like, I can't believe how much I love this little guy. And I don't even know him. His personality hasn't really come out. He's sleeping. And I love him so much. And my brother looked at me and he said, I know what you're saying. I, I never thought I would love anybody as much as I love my wife until I hold this, held little Broxton and my heart was instantly gripped. All of you parents know what that's like to hold your child and just be in awe. Wow, this is mine. This came from me. And there's this pride and this joy that, that goes into this kid, that this kid is. Well, Paul picks up on this. And in verse 19 and 20, he says, What is our hope? What is our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Man, Paul, like, he loved this church. And it's kind of like how kids are a parent's legacy. Parents love sacrificially, and they exhort diligently so that they can grow up their kids and see their kids mature and responsible so that they can stand and say, that's my kid. I'm proud of him. That's my daughter. I'm proud of her. I love her. The reality is most parents will always love their kids, but sometimes they will not be proud of the decisions they make. Sometimes they won't be proud, but that's every parent's desire, to stand in pride as to the decisions that their kids are making. You know, we are called as disciple makers to do the same thing, to love sacrificially, to exhort diligently, so that our spiritual kids may grow up to live lives worthy of the gospel, worthy of our God, to become mature, persevering through hardship, so that when we stand in glory, we can present them to the Father and say, this is who I've brought with me. You know, there's three eternal things in this life. God, who always was and always will be. The Bible, who, which it says, the word of our God will stand forever. And the last thing, our people. We are eternal beings. We will live forever, but we get to choose where we're going to spend eternity. Are we going to spend it in eternal suffering and pain? Or will we spend it in eternal paradise? We get to choose. So if there's only three eternal things, though, maybe we should think about where are we actually spending our time, our energy, our resources? Because if there's only those three things, maybe that's where our time and our energy and our resources should go. So how much time have you spent with God recently? How much time have you spent in his word? How much time have you spent loving people exhorting people because people are what's going to be our glory you know paul's life was all about glorifying god 
and answering his call to make disciples. His motivation for making disciples was love of the Father, love of God. And Jesus said in John 14, uh, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And then again, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And then again, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Basically, Paul loved God. And then he answered his call. He showed his love for God by obeying God. And what, would, what did God command? He said, love other people, make disciples. That's what, Jesus, or that's what Paul did. Paul, he, he had this passion for God, kind of like what we say. And how passion for God plays out is compassion for people. It's walking alongside people. It's loving people. Paul longed, and I hope it's our longing as well, to hear the words of Jesus to say, well done, at the end of our lives, to stand before Jesus and say, him say, well done. Paul accepted it, Christ's call, to, to, or accepted Christ's sacrifice, and then he walked in the power of the Holy Spirit in order to answer Jesus' call to make disciples. His spiritual kids, those spiritual kids in turn, would be his glory. He says, what he would glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes. So my question is, what will be your glory? What will be our glory? And sometimes we think, well, this sounds heretical because we won't glory in anything before Jesus because we're nothing. We've done nothing to get into heaven. And yeah, you're right. But Jesus also said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If he said that, maybe that's a big deal. You know, Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 3, and he's talking about his work as a life, or yeah, his life's work, and he's talking and encouraging other people and how we need to be building into the kingdom, building into the family of God. And he says, all of us will stand before Christ. And then he continues on, he says, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. But if it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. I read this probably seven years ago, and it just gripped me. I was like, what am I doing with my life? Have I just been living and, and ministering out of my own strength? Will, has what I've done already in these past 20 years, will it all be burnt up because it was all just for me or all in my own strength? Yes, all of us, if we've accepted Jesus, we'll get into heaven, but I don't want to just escape as one through the flames, just squeaking into heaven. I want to come in and I want to say, Jesus, this is all that I, I use what you gave me. And I walked with you, and these are the people that I'm bringing because of what you've done. I want to bring a whole whack load of people into the kingdom. They will be my glory. Who will be your glory? Who are you going to stand before Jesus and say, this is what I've done with what you've given me. This is what I've done with you empowering me. This is my glory. And what does Paul say to the Thessalonians? He says, our rewards, our glory, our joy, our crown in the presence of Christ, they will be those that we bring. Are we loving sacrificially like a mother in order to birth others into the kingdom, bring others in? Are we exhorting like a father in order to grow others up into maturity, grow others up that they may live a life worthy of the Lord? 
Because if we do, if we give ourselves fully, we will gain glory. Then we will be able to stand in glory due to the maturity of others by loving and by exhorting. I want to stand in glory. I don't know about you, but I want to. So tonight, if I can invite Darren up, and if you don't mind standing with me, we're going to close the service this evening. And I just want to pray um, that all of us will be compelled to love like a mother and to exhort like a father, that we would become spiritual parents today, that we would become spiritual parents, that God would give you names of people in your workplace, in your school, in your family, no matter where that looks, that you're supposed to love sacrificially, that you're supposed to exhort. So I want to pray for you guys tonight. I want to pray for all of us tonight regarding that. But also with every head bowed, if you don't mind, I touched on some cultural things tonight, and I recognize that we live in a broken world, and that maybe some of you tonight are really hurting still, maybe still scarred from things that have happened in the past from a mom who's not here anymore, from a mom that maybe you didn't know, from the fact that maybe you can't be a mom, or maybe you had a dad who abdicated his authority and took off, or a dad who abused you. And if that's you tonight, if there is any hurt from any pain in the past, I want to pray for wholeness and healing for you. So if that's you, I would encourage you to raise your hand, and I want to pray with you. Amen. Awesome. I will pray for you. God, Jesus, we just thank you for your love. We thank you that you are such a gracious God and that this idea of a sacrificial uh, mother, it comes from you, Jesus. You died for us. You showed us the greatest extent of sacrifice when you died for us. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love. God, I, I just pray that each one of us would be compelled that you would give names tonight, that you would give visions and dreams tonight of people that we are supposed to love sacrificially, of people that we're supposed to exhort, of people that we need to grow up and walk with. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each person individually here in this place. Lord, that you would hound us, that we would become spiritual moms and dads. And Father, I pray for those who raised their hands and those who didn't, who have hurts. God, that you would heal them. Jesus, that you would speak into those deepest, most inner parts. Lord, that you would speak into that hurt and that pain that sometimes feels like it's eating away from the inside out. God, that you would speak and that there would be wholeness. God, you came not to just give us life eternal, but life to the full today. God, you came to give us life and healing physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. So God, that's what I pray tonight, that you would heal any mental scars any emotional scars, any psychological scars, God, that you would bind them up, that you would make them beautiful, that you would turn the situations that they're in or their pasts into something beautiful. So God, I thank you that you are a loving God, and I thank you that you can do something about these situations. Lord, we ask that you be glorified tonight, that you be lifted high, and we pray all these things in your awesome name, Jesus. Amen.